I was thinking as they were playing uh, how uh, wonderful it is when a family makes beautiful music together and in playing instruments, but also in what God does in your family. And I thank God for the families of this church. I thank God for the beauty of the music in your family that's coming forth with singing and instrumentals and also uh, what's happening as far as this army of God that God's raising up. You know, God's, uh, at the same time, the uh, powers of darkness are coming in like a flood. Is God, God raising up his army against the powers of darkness? And I see it happening in this fellowship. I praise God for each one of the families and what's happening with the sons and daughters. Now, wisdom, uh, wisdom, we've uh, gotten targeted on wisdom here. And I want to say a few words of uh, introduction about wisdom. Um, There's a whole chapter in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, but there's a whole chapter. And the whole chapter in Proverbs 8 is a personification of wisdom. Uh, Our family went through it many times. Uh, We went through all those chapters in Proverbs many times. And it's like wisdom is a person and wisdom is speaking, and it's a, a very long chapter. So if you're looking to get more uh, understanding about what we're targeting in these days here in the fellowship, that would be a good chapter. God says, if any man lack wisdom, which we all do, uh, ask of him, and then he's going to show you where you need to go in his word so he can give it to you. Well, one place to go for sure, Proverbs Wisdom is essential. Now, uh, God built wisdom into his creation. And uh, one of the things you'll find in wisdom, uh, Proverbs chapter 8 is that wisdom is everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. If you're spiritually alert and spiritually discerning, God can give you wisdom in the marketplace of life. Everywhere you go. And I just want to give a few illustrations. We've got uh, lots of... Uh, When our Lord, for instance, wanted to give us wisdom about not to worry and not to be stressed out with the worries of life, he said, behold, the lilies of the field. Now, when God created the lilies of the field, he designed the lilies of the field with wisdom. There's wisdom to be learned from the lilies of the field. The Lord Jesus himself pointed to it. And he said, just take time to think about the lilies. Here in James, he talks about the grass and the flower of the grass and the scorching sun. And he says, this will help you understand how to have wisdom's perspective on the rich and the poor. Talking about the grass and the flower of the grass and how quickly it passes away with the scorching of the sun. Now, God created the sun, he created the grass, and so when he did that, and it's in Proverbs 8, he says in Proverbs 8, where were you when I created the world? We weren't there, but God was there, and when God created it, he created his world with wisdom. And so um, if you're alert, there's much wisdom you can learn just by observation of people and observation of creation. There's lots of wisdom to be gained that sometimes we don't recognize. So uh, just wanted to uh, emphasize that because 
wisdom, if wisdom is the principal thing and you can learn wisdom everywhere you go, if you're spiritually alert, then get your eyes, spiritual eyes, ask God to open your spiritual eyes to be able to see it. Amen? Yeah. And you, know, you don't, have to, don't have to have a high IQ to get this wisdom. What you have to have is a humble heart, a meek heart, a lowly heart, a heart that says, I'm a sinner, and my sin has blinded me to what I need to see properly, and I need God to heal my spiritual blindness so I can see life in the proper way. Amen? And God will hear that prayer. Now, a paradox is where we are here. A paradox, in, in James chapter 1, a paradox is a, a statement... Uh, something that's a statement that's made, and when you first hear it, it's like uh, that's the exact opposite of the way uh, you would think it to be. It it appears to be a contradiction, and there are many paradoxes in Scripture. We're looking at one right now. Let the brother of low degree—that's the poor person—let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, and let the uh, rich man rejoice in that he is made low. It seems like you'd rejoice when you're made high, but no, God says you rejoice when you are made low. It's a paradox. Now, I want to go through a few of these because God's, I'm talking about other paradoxes that are in scripture, so that uh, I've done this before. I think it's very important to keep coming back to God says my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts I mentioned Wednesday night in prayer meeting uh, that when God healed Naaman of his leprosy uh, Naaman had something in his mind of how he thought God would do it and when the prophet told Naaman what God said and this is how it would happen as far as the healing of his leprosy, it took Naaman by complete surprise. Because God's ways, I mean, you know, he expected some uh, bolt of lightning out of heaven type thing. God's going to zap him and heal, heal him. You know? And how did God decide to do it? Well, in order for healing to take place in a family or in a life, we've got to come to a place of humility and brokenness. Uh, why did God insist that Naaman wash in the dirty Jordan River because the issue of pride was standing there that needed to be dealt with. And I guarantee you it's standing there in every one of our lives that needs to be dealt with. And so God will use situations in our life. He'll allow opportunity for us to be humbled. Uh, If we don't humble ourselves. Will God humble us? Will God bring situations into our life? And the reason why God's going to make sure he brings situations in is because he gives grace. If, if you want to have the operation of God's grace, the power of God's grace, the dynamics of God's grace functioning in your life, God gives grace to the humble. And so somehow or another, either we humble ourselves, or you know, God's going to bring situations in that will bring us to that place, unless we harden our heart. You know, you can go, you can circumvent God's reproof. You can circumvent what God's trying to teach you. Uh, You know, God talks about he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck 
What does he say? Anybody remember that scripture? Shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Uh, God wants to spare us the heartache. He wants to spare us the grief. He wants to spare us the destruction, spare the corruption. If we'll pay attention and be meek and humble. Um, I wish I had time to tell you an illustration my son Josh gave. Um, uh, He just finished his... um, training at Fort Gordon, and uh, what normally happens is we understand what's right and what's just that should come our way from people, but lots of times it doesn't come our way the way it should, it should. and God, you know what God says? He says if you're going to overcome evil or overcome injustice, the normal thing is to complain about it and murmur about it and stand up for your rights and this, that, and the other. And in the midst of it, pride could get in the midst of it. Amen? But God says, don't be overcome with evil. What does he say? Overcome evil with? It's a paradox. It's like, why would you do good to the person that's treating you so unjustly? Well, that's why God says, my ways are not your ways. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of how God accomplishes powerful blessings in our life. When we bless those that you would think, there's no way I'm going to bless that person after what they just did or what they just said or, you know, you know they didn't treat me the way I should have been treated. No, you overcome evil by doing good. It's, it's kind of like a paradox. Now, there's other paradoxes, and I want to mention some of these. We think that what makes us important in life and significant in life and from the natural point of view, the natural mindset, we think that uh, our significance is bound up in how many people serve us, how many people are under us. And the more people that are under us, that makes us more important because we're the boss over, you know, 100, 1,000, 10,000, you know, depending upon how, how up the ladder you go. But the Lord said it's not how many people that serves you that makes you important. The Lord says it's how many people you serve that determines the impact of your life, that determines the greatness of what I'm able to do through your life. If you're going to be great in God's kingdom, and God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that's number one priority. If you're going to be great in God's kingdom, we've got to be a servant to every person we meet. We've got to esteem others Every person we meet, we've got to esteem others what? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Esteem others. Don't look down on people. Look up to people and serve every person. Look for opportunities to serve. Look look for opportunities to minister. Look for opportunities to give. Uh, Another uh, paradox is we normally think in our mind it's more of a blessing to receive than there is to give. And there's certainly a blessing in receiving. We all understand that. But the Lord himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, we had the privilege with such a large family. Uh, you know, people looked at us over the years and said, man, he needs some help. <laughs> he needs some help. And uh, one of the areas we needed help in was uh, uh, transportation. And so we had two vans given to us, two vans given to us over the years. And I will never forget the first one that was given to us. 
the guy that gave it to us, I'm telling you, I was very excited about it. I was very excited about having this van. But he was more excited than I was. He had greater joy. He had greater enthusiasm. I could tell it. I could see it. And I learned that day that he got the greater blessing. I got a blessing. Our family got a blessing. He got the greater blessing. That's the way it works. It's a paradox. You think you're being blessed by getting. But, uh, you know, the scripture says, let him that stole steal no more. So when is a thief not a thief? Well, is he's, you know, God is not just trying to stop the thieving. God wants to transform us. He doesn't want to just take out the negative. If all you do is take out the negative, you haven't gone far enough. Whenever God takes out something out of your life, is God wanting to put something into your life? You remember the person that got rid of the, uh, the one demon he had, and the, the demon said, well, that house is still empty. It's, it's still a vacuum there. So the demon went and got seven more demons, and they all returned to the man. The latter state of that man was first than, or worse than the uh, first. Whenever you take something out, when God takes something out, God's always putting something in. So let him that stole steal no more. But rather, what should he be doing? Not just stop stealing. That's a wonderful miracle that God works in people's lives. But the even greater miracle is God wants us to labor with our hands the thing which is good so that we not only will meet our needs financially to pay the bills, but it says in Ephesians 4, labor with your hands so that you have something to give. So your motivation for going to work is being able to have opportunities to give, opportunities to serve your company, to make your company successful, opportunities for whatever uh, money comes in, uh, to be able to have opportunities to help others and use the gifts and talents and abilities you've had, you've, God's given you not to promote yourself and your own self-interest and your own self-gain, but you use it for God's glory, God's gain, and other people's gain. And that's the transformation of a thief right there. You know, that's the transformation. I tell you, will that keep that guy out of prison, going back to prison? Everybody with me? There's a high residual rate of people that get out of prison going back because uh, the, the, you got to put in what's been taken out. you got to put in whatever God wants to be put in. Beside that. Otherwise, it's just a repeat again. Now, there's other, other uh, ways that we have these uh, paradoxes. We think the way up is up. You know, if you're going to go up, you need to go up. No, God says if you want to go up, the way up is down. And that's why I say, like for instance, with the rich man here in James, he says, let the rich man rejoice when he is brought down. It's a paradox. You would think that you're rejoicing when you're still up on top of things. Now, God brings us down. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says in Proverbs, before God honors a man, what does does God do before he honors a man? He humbles a man. He brings a man man down before he 
it brings him up. The Lord Jesus in Philippians 2, it said in Philippians 2 that the Lord Jesus emptied himself. In his humanity, when he came into this world, he emptied himself and became, he took upon himself the form of a servant, everything I've been talking about. Everywhere he went, he was serving, giving, ministering. And it says, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, what did God do? Wherefore, God has highly exalted him. That's the way it worked in our Lord's life. That's the way it works in our life. And when I first started preaching, I read this illustration about a young man. I really needed it when I first started preaching. It was a young man. He had just graduated from a seminary, and he couldn't wait to preach his first sermon. And he, he you know, he studied hard, and he was well prepared, and uh, he got up to speak, and he said three words, Behold, I come. And his mind went blank. And so he tried hard again, Behold, I come. And his mind went blank. Third time, he tried it, trying to get his thoughts to come, and said, Behold, I come. And he, was so, he got so exasperated, uh, I don't know where he was standing, but he, he stumbled into the lady on the front pew there. And he started apologizing, you know. And uh, the lady said, that's all right, preacher. You warned me you were coming. <laughs> so then the uh, deacon in the church, the deacon in the church said, if you had gone up the way you came down, things would have been different in the preaching of your message. See, God has to humble us so that he can work through us. And we've got to come to the point where we put no confidence whatsoever in ourselves. Amen? No confidence. We have no sufficiency of ourselves, as the Bible says, to think anything is coming from ourselves, whether it's preaching or anything, anything else. I could give you many, many illustrations on that. So the way up is down for God. Now, I'll just stop right there as far as these paradoxes. There's many of them, many of them. If we're going to get the wisdom uh, that we need, uh, we're going to uh, need to understand uh, not to think naturally. We need God to bless our mind to think supernaturally so that what God leads us to do may be the exact opposite of what we were thinking we were going to do. It's kind of like it blows your circuit. And you, you say, God, is this really what you're leading me to do? Is this really the way you want to do it? Because it seems so foreign to our thinking. So now I'd like to uh, move on here to the text about wealth does not bring God closer and poverty does not keep God away. The Bible says the rich and the poor, where do they meet? They meet together. And so the, and when it comes to spiritual things and spiritual realities, the rich don't have an advantage over the poor, and the poor are not at disadvantage uh, because they're not rich. 
if anything, if it's, if it's weighted to one side or the other, it's more the rich that has possible disadvantage. But uh, it tells us very clearly in Proverbs uh, 30. Let's, let's turn over there to Proverbs 30. I've, I've mentioned this before, but we haven't read it together. This, we've got to understand that all of us as believers are joint heirs with Christ. And so that means, as uh, this is in Romans chapter 8, it talks about, uh, it says, The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And because we are sons of God, every believer has the same inheritance in Christ that any other believer has. We all share the same inheritance in Christ. And because we are joint heirs in Christ, it tears down any walls of separation. I was thinking about what's on the news, and you know, if you watch the news long enough, it's, uh, you start to see some common denominators in it. And uh, one common denominator is man's trying to resolve the uh, economic problems that mankind has with each other. That's always a part of the news situations. And then another common denominator is man can't get along with his fellow man. And you're always hearing something in the news about who's got the answer to it or who thinks they've got the answer to it. Well, the only answer to the economics and to the relationships horizontally in life is Jesus Christ himself. That's the only answer. So we're just spinning our wheels. And that's why Jesus said, you know, until you bring the Lord into the situation, until he's, in, he's the Lord of peace. He himself is our peace. Until the Lord is crowned uh, and until he's ruling, uh, we, mankind can't get to the peace. Any kind of peace that man tries to establish, it's a short-term situation. You have to have one peace treaty after another peace treaty after another peace treaty. And that's why the Lord said, until he comes back again, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of war because we, re- we reject Jesus Christ. We, we, we reject his lordship, and without him, without Jesus Christ being the governor, we never get it right. Until Jesus Christ is the governor of our life, we, things don't operate properly inside, inside internally, or horizontally. They don't operate properly. If, if we're going to be able to live... You know, the Bible says, as much as lieth, as much as lieth where? You got to have peace inside of you if you're going to have any opportunity to live peaceably with all men. If I don't have a peace inside of me, a rest inside of me, a quietness inside of me, if I'm not finding my sufficiency in Christ, my satisfaction in Christ, if I'm not finding the fullness of Christ, if I'm running on E instead of running on F, the least little person that bumps into me, I'm going to get irritated towards them. But if I'm running on fullness, if I'm running on the sufficiency, the overflowing sufficiency of Jesus Christ, it's like the woman at the well. I've thought about her three times this morning. She came to the well for a bucket of water. She left the well with the well of living water inside of her. Amen? And because she had the well of living water inside of her, then she went to all the people in the town. 
She couldn't wait to talk to the people in the town. She wanted everybody to understand, hey, he understood my sinfulness. He knew everything about my history. He knew me better than I knew myself. And he explained to me how I could see my sin and see my desperate need of, of, of being rescued from my sin and he alone being the only answer. And she couldn't wait to proclaim out of her innermost being at the very early stage of her being converted out what was starting to flow. Rivers of living water. I mean, from the moment you get saved, the inheritance that you have in Christ is totally yours. Totally yours. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. What matters is, are we, uh, are we um, appropriating the wealth that God has given us in Christ? You know, the, the Bible talks about in Jesus Christ, it describes uh, what we have in Jesus Christ as the unsearchable riches. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He says, when I preach, he says, I preach the unsearchable riches that are in Christ. Now, if we enter into the understanding, for instance, like in Ephesians chapter 1, which, by the way, if you want to understand your riches in Christ, look at the uh, uh, epistle of Ephesians. It's over and over again in Ephesians. But the first chapter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Amen? How many blessings? Every blessing we need. It doesn't have anything to do with my poverty as far as material things or my riches as far as material things. It has everything to do with what's important in my soul. What's going on in my soul inside of me? Which, by the way, one of the things uh, I had on my heart this week as a result of all these um, funerals is the Lord reminded me as I was working on this message how quickly an inversion takes place between a rich man and a poor man when they step into eternity if one doesn't know the Savior. If the rich man doesn't know the Savior, he reminded me of uh, the rich man and, and uh, Lazarus. And remember, Lazarus was eating off the crumbs of the table of the rich man. But the, the moment, the moment, and listen, uh, we know not what a day may bring forth. We know, we know not where we're going to step into eternity. The Lord talked about the, the rich young fool. He talked about, you, he said, I'm rich and I'm increased with goods. And what do I have need of? I have need of nothing. And the Lord said, you, I think, did the Lord say thou fool? I forget what he said there. But anyways, he reprimanded him. And he said, this night, this night or this day, your soul will be required of you. And so the moment you step into eternity, the Bible tells us we came into this world with nothing, and how are we going to leave this world? We're going to leave this world with nothing, so there's got to be more to life and living than material earthly things. Amen? That's why Paul said, I have suffered the loss. In Philippians 3, what do you say? I have suffered the loss of 
all things. He didn't, he didn't just start getting rid of everything, you know, and kind of getting in a monastery type living. No, what he meant was, I'm not clean to things. I'm not grasping things as my security. I'm not holding on to things that where my happiness is or my blessedness is or where my security is or my sufficiency is. He was, you know, Paul said, this way, he warned about people that believe you're spiritual with prosperity. The prosperity gospel is a very dangerous gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if, if you're around those kind of people that are preaching a prosperity gospel, it's better to, you know, not be sitting under that. It's dangerous. Uh, because Paul said he had learned to be content in whatever situation he was in. He said, I know how to abound. Sometimes my cup's running over, but I also know how to suffer need. And so there's a cycle in your life. Sometimes you've got more than you need. Sometimes you're going through desperate straits. But it doesn't matter what your condition is outwardly in this world materially. Is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? And I think God takes us through these cycles so that we can enter more into the appropriation of the fullness of our fellowship and and worship of, of Jesus Christ. And so the brevity of life. The brevity of life. The Bible says that our life in this world is like a vapor. It's like when you, you see water boiling and you see the steam and it's there one moment and it's gone the next. We're only in this life for a very, 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 very short time compared to eternity. And so why should we put our treasures in this life? No. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. That's where the real treasures are. And the way you do that, by the way, I've already mentioned about serving and giving and ministering, but another way that we're investing in the kingdom of God and we're investing in being able to be a better servant and to be a better um, minister, I'm not talking about a minister as a pastor, I'm just talking about all of us ministering Christ to others, is to develop the character of Christ. And if we don't develop the character of Christ, we'll not be able to be content in all our situations. The character, developing the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God didn't say everything that happens to us is good, but he says, I can work all things that happens to you for good. And then the very next verse says, God has pre Ordained. He has foreordained that every one of us as believers be conformed. What's God's purpose? It says, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose? That we are to be conformed to what? The likeness of Christ, the character of Christ. This is where the treasure of life is. I'm telling you, if you want to enter into the treasures of life, learn meekness, learn lowliness, learn patience, learn long-suffering, learn these character qualities that was demonstrated in the Lord's life. And it talks about these qualities as far as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, fullness of the Spirit, these types of qualities will be made manifest. I tell you, it's, uh, it's a real treasure. 
to learn how to be long-suffering with people. Amen. It's a real treasure that the uh, people relationships of life don't steal away your joy. Because it's, it, we're a work in progress. We're a work in progress. And if we're operating in the fullness of Christ, you've heard me say this many times. I've said it many times. Psalm says, my soul, wait thou only, wait thou only upon God. My expectation is from him. If I'm expecting others to do for me what only God can do for me, then I've made others a prisoner of what? My expectations. And, you know, it breaks down relationships. It breaks down the relationship. Amen? But if I'm, I'm looking only to God, then I'm delivered from being preoccupied with myself and what others can do for me. Now, I said all that to get us to Proverbs 30. Has everybody got it? Proverbs 30. And I want to read, read this. I've mentioned it several times. Proverbs 30, verse 8. There's danger as far as being poor, and there's danger as far as, far as being rich. It goes both ways. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. And notice what he says, give me, give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with food convenient for me. So, uh, you know, you can live with it or you can live without it. If God, like Job said, if the Lord gives, blessed be his name. If the Lord takes away, blessed be his name. It's not like the, you know... One day that man came to the Lord Jesus and he said, my brother's not dividing the inheritance properly. Well, if you understand your inheritance with the Lord, you won't get overcome with all the um, inheritance horizontal things. It won't bring you down to despondency. And, and he, wanted, he wanted the Lord to straighten out his brother because his brother was not handling the inheritance properly. And the Lord says to the whole crowd, he says, beware, and he was talking about this man that brought the question to him. Beware of what? Covetousness. And if you don't have the other qualities I mentioned, the contentment being one of them and so forth and so on, covetousness, you're either going to have the negative or you're going to have the positive. One's going to surface, right? And so the Lord said, beware of covet- covetousness because he said a man's life Consisteth not in what? The abundance of things. Life is not about things. Life is about relationship. First and foremost, first and foremost about our relationship with God, and second, our relationship with each other. And when those two things are operating properly, it's a, it's a great treasure. It's, a, it's an eternal treasure. I love thinking about... I was praying this with my family, with my mom and my brother this week. I've prayed it many times. We that are in Christ are going to meet. When the Lord Jesus comes back again, when he comes back again, we're going to meet the Lord. We're not going to meet the Lord separated from each other. We're going to meet the Lord in what manner? 
together. Now, if we're going to meet the Lord together and be together for all eternity, why not get the benefit of it right now? There should be no walls of separation between believers. Now, the, the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper is if there have been anything's trying to occur, anything's trying to be there, get it, bring it to God, go to the person, get it right so uh, there's nothing between you and God and nothing between you and another person, especially a believer. Amen? Get it right. You know, Romans 8 says, what does Romans 8 say? Nothing can separate, talking about us as believers, nothing can separate us from the unity and the oneness that we have in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found where? In Christ Jesus. And I love, I love it when the Lord says, listen, we're going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet the Lord. We're not going to meet the Lord fussing and fighting with each other. We're going to meet the Lord where? And how? Together. We're going to meet the Lord together. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, on the basis of this, comfort each other. Encourage each other. Amen. I tell you, it's wonderful to think about a utopia where everybody gets along with everybody the way God intended life to be. And praise God when we, when I want to just finish with this. I want to talk about the body of Christ. The, the church is not the building. The church is the body. The body of Christ involves the members. One person's a hand. One person's a foot, somebody else's an eye, and so forth and so on. When we ask for wisdom, if, if the hand needs wisdom, the hand does, the first priority of getting wisdom is not to ask the foot for wisdom. Everybody with me? The first priority, and if the foot needs wisdom, the first priority is not for the foot to ask the eye for wisdom. The first priority is for all the members of the body, like it says in James 1, if any man lack wisdom, don't go to the members of the body first. First priority is go to the head of the body. Who's the head of the body of a church? Jesus Christ. Now, if all of us are tapping into the wisdom directly from Christ, does it affect how the members of the body are able to function together and relate to each other? Does it help produce or maintain the oneness that we already have in Christ? Because we're all getting the same direction from the head. The Lord is the head. And when all the members of the body are getting the wisdom from the head, we can work together collectively so that what the scripture talks about, edification... Edification is when we come together and because we're getting wisdom directly from our relationship with the Lord, when we come together as, a, uh, as members of his body, we all have, I'm not just talking about the pastor now, I'm not just talking about the people up front now, I'm talking about every member of the body has the capacity because of the inheritance we all have in Christ, the whole body can minister one to another. It's quite possible that you may get more from a person in the pew after church than what you would get from me preaching today. And I say, praise be to God. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because we all, uh, we all have access to the throne of grace. We all have access to the same wisdom of God in Christ. 
And so that's when it says in Ephesians 4, when the whole body is ministering one to another, we grow up and we're mature in Christ. I tell you, it's wonderful when we're, we're mature in Christ because it takes away the childish fussing and fighting when there's a maturity there. Amen? And that's the way a local church operates. That's the way we function. So you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, as he's going to say later on in uh, James, I think, chapter 2, if a rich person comes into church or if a poor person comes into church, because we're all equal in Christ, and uh, it, you know, we, we, when we look at every, every person, number one, every person in the world is made in the image of God. That's where you start. That's where you start, right there. It doesn't matter whether they're saved or not. They are made in the image of God. And he warns about it. He says, out of one side of our mouth, we bless God. And out of the other side of our mouth, we curse men who are made in the image of God. That's the first place you start. But secondly, there should be no respect of persons where a rich person gets treated differently from a poor person because in Jesus Christ, there is no divided wall. There is no respect of persons. Listen, the poorest person in the church is the richest person in the church in Christ. I'm talking about if you're poor materially, they're rich spiritually in Christ. And so the Lord Jesus breaks down the uh, walls of separation. He breaks down the uh, how we look at each other, how we treat each other. And, and then we truly do have that agape love where we love every person equally the same. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, I pray you as I've already prayed this morning, uh, beyond words that I speak. I pray that what you know each person needs from you, I pray your Holy Spirit would make the application, maybe even bring other scriptures to mind. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts about what we need to understand so that every one of us can enter into the blessedness of the, uh, of the uh, fruitfulness of your son's life. Lord, I pray that we would not be somehow waiting for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. One day we'll find it. One day we'll get to it. One day we'll enter into it. I pray that we'd be able to enter in today by faith and recognize if we have everything in life but Jesus Christ, we don't have anything. But if we have nothing in life but Christ, we have everything. And that starts immediately. So, Lord, I pray as we come to your table, may we be able to examine ourselves. May we be able to partake in a worthy manner. May we be able to confess uh, anything that needs to be confessed and, and anything that needs to be cleared up as far as any ill will thoughts towards others. Lord, may this, all your purposes for having the Lord's Supper be accomplished, I pray. And I pray it would be a cup of blessing to bring us ever closer to each other and ever closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.